Yep. Okay. This can be quick because our clip is like yep. half an hour long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, please. You think this is going to be oh, quick? Did you see on. the kind of notes I have? <laughs> if I start snoring, and <clears throat> no offense. Mm-hmm. All right. We haven't we taught you to absorb and then ignore your notes yet? No. I have a lot of things that I want to cover. So <laughs> yes. job making go but it made me blue one day i was crying a lot and so i decided to move to west covina california brand new pals and new career it happens to be where josh lives but that's not why i'm here she's the crazy ex-girlfriend what no i'm not she's the crazy ex-girlfriend that's a sexist term she's the crazy ex-girlfriend can you guys stop singing for just a second she's so broken inside the situation's a lot more nuanced than that c-r-a-z-y okay we get it crazy ex-girlfriend Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast, mostly about a podcast that's too beautiful to live. In the Stick of Butter Studios in New Brighton, Minnesota, I'm Anne Lundholm. On Mondays, we bring you a full recap of the last week of TBTL, but on today's Friday episode, I think we might not be talking very much at all about the shenanigans of Luke Burbank and Andrew Walsh. Instead... This is the second show in our new series, the LRB Pop Culture Challenge. You've already listened to me and Meredith discovering the joys of watching Super Bowl. And now it's time to flip the coin to the other side of the challenge, where Mike and Bobby watch part of the first season of the critically acclaimed CW show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Most Most part. (laughs) We can discuss that in a minute. Semantics. We've got a full house tonight of two guys and three ladies to talk about this. So first up, he's already announced his presence. Joining me from Deer Blind Studios in the Mountain Room at the Ranch in Manshack, Texas, it's Mike Frizzell. Hello, Mike. Uh, good evening, Ann. From Studios for Sale in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, it's Bobby Pape. Hi, Bobby. Ask me about my Redfin listing. <laughs> In yet-to-be-named studios in Lincoln Park, Michigan, it's Meredith the MVH Van Harn. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Ann. And last but certainly not least, from Stiff Shoulder Studios in Linwood, Washington, it's Christy Wise. Hi, Christy. Hello. I have friends. I definitely have friends. (laughs) (laughs) Linwood, big hair, represent. Girl with mustache. Boy with Port Weinstein. <laughs> Grocery clerk with half an eyelid. <laughs> so, what we have on the docket tonight, we are going to do a little LRB business. We are going to play a pre recorded clip of Mike and Bobby discussing their viewing and their feelings about Crazy Ex Girlfriend. We'll have a group discussion of the show and their reactions to it. We'll do a little housekeeping and we'll tell you how to get involved with the show. First in LRB business, not really business, I was thinking maybe I would call this the show preamble because it's mostly my issues. Number one, I want to say if along the line I refer to Rachel Bloom as Rebecca Bunch or vice versa, please forgive me. (laughs) Rachel Bloom is the creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She plays the character Rebecca Bunch on the show somebody thought it would be hilariously funny to give them similar names with the same initials and kind of the same syllable patterns and it is so hard to get the right person all the time uh it's mm-hmm. like jerry seinfeld 
<laughs> playing um, church. Being the star of right. Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I am not the only one to have this problem because there are a number of blooper reels of her castmates doing the exact same thing <laughs> on the internet. So That's I don't hilarious. feel too bad. I just want to get that out there in case somebody's like, God, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. So there's that. The second thing is for you guys. If I talk too long, please tell me to stop because I have thoughts about this. <laughs> and I no, no way. I, I've, I've acquired some silly putty and a fidget spinner, <laughs> and I've just decided. To just I already know turn it that off. there's going to be a point tomorrow where I think, "Oh shit, I wanted to talk about X, Y, Z, and I didn't, <laughs> and I'm going to be beating myself up." So I have tried to organize and condense my notes so that this is not going to be a three-hour show. But I cannot promise to hold to that if you guys don't rein me in. Well, it's too bad. We used to too know a it. podcast where you could go to nerd out about things. <laughs> but I also know a, a podcast where you can just go on and on and on mm-hmm. and on in a million different tangent directions. So either way... We can probably accommodate you. Yeah, I'm hoping that the Wagoneers are used to long meandering podcasts and so they can roll with yeah, it. Yeah, they very much are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last little bit in the preamble here is I wanted to toss out a few introductory facts about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Rachel Bloom. For those who don't know, uh, Rachel Bloom is the creator, the star, the executive producer, a writer and songwriter on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She is the co-creator with a lady named Aileen Brosh McKenna, who's known for writing The Devil Wears Prada, the screenplay, and some other things. She's uh, sort of a legitimate name. And the story is that she uh, saw one of uh, Rachel's YouTube videos, like you guys were talking about her Fuck Me Ray Bradbury video that we'll get to (laughs) in the clip. And you said you thought that that was probably a a launching pad for her. And it definitely was because Aileen saw some of these videos and reached out to her and said, I'd really like to talk to you about working together. And she says, it's the only blind date that's ever worked out for her (laughs) (laughs) because they have this partnership now. And it was originally the show was a pilot for Showtime. It was going to be a half hour comedy for Showtime that was significantly raunchier than what it ended up being when it got to network television. And uh, when Showtime passed on it, then the CW picked it up and they had to retool it a little bit. And that's where it lives today. It is the lowest rated show on the broadcast networks. Not one of the lowest rated shows. The lowest rated show. That's really sad. I know. I All the terrible, terrible shows yes. on some yeah. of the other networks. And this just can't get a foothold for a number of reasons that Mike and Bobby discussed. Could it be in part that because based on the title, I think it's a knockoff of that show where they go around and follow cheating spouses and yeah. around with <laughs> yep. hidden cameras? Yeah. It yes, does seem absolutely. like that. The name is awful. Mm-hmm. Let's just get that out of the way. We all agree, <laughs> I think. And the, the final tidbit that I wanted to bring was that uh, Rachel Bloom did win a Golden Globe last year or the year before as a best actress in the television series, musical or comedy. So there is a lot of critical acclaim. And I think that's probably why the CW hasn't canceled it because it does bring them a little bit more prestige Mm -hmm. beyond the superhero shows. And I guess Jane, the Virgin has had some, some critical success, but other than that, they don't really have a lot. If it got canceled and Rachel Bloom still wants to do it, Netflix will pick it up because that's where it actually oh, no doubt. gained no its. Doubt. It's like TBT. Yeah, it, it There's gained an audience. its um, audience because when it got put on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the audience will travel with it. Yep. 
it it does feel way more like a, a Showtime show or a a uh, a prestige cable show rather yeah. than a CW show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it would be a little bit different. The musical numbers would all be the same, but it would I think it would uh they would find a way to make it move more quickly and trust the viewers. Um I don't know. I I I I have visions for the show. <laughs> I well, the musical numbers would be the explicit ones that Rachel often posts right. to yeah. her YouTube channel instead of the safe for television versions. Yeah. <laughs> um, the explicit versions are almost always better than yes. what actually shows up on TV. So I, I recommend her YouTube channel is pretty good. Okay, so that introductory business established. Uh, I think we should jump into it and uh, take a listen to uh, Bobby and Mike's unfiltered discussion recorded yesterday after they had at various times watched eight episodes, eight out of 18. So that's not most of the first season. Oh, it's 18? Jesus. (laughs) Eight episodes. Oh, I forgot. CW. Yeah. You got to produce all kinds Mm -hmm. of crap. Uh, so let's roll that tape and then we'll come back and talk about a few things I have on the list afterwards. All right. Now that we've tried this three times, there's no reason to fuck around. We'll just get started. <laughs> right. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon, Bobby. If I sound a little echoey, it's because I am broadcasting from the half empty office at the house in Pawtucket, Rhode Island that will hopefully not be mine for much longer. And this is the third time that we're trying to start this little quick segment. So I'm just hoping it works. How are you? I'm well. I'm very well. How about you? <laughs> I'm okay. We are now both in a position where we are trying to sell a house. So uh, mm-hmm. that's exciting. But that is for another time. We are here to record what will eventually be, for people who are listening to this right now, the middle of an episode of the LRB Pop Culture Challenge, wherein uh, we, but mainly you, Mike, have been challenged to try something new. Green Eggs and Ham style by Anne uh, that she thinks you will hate, uh, or rather she thinks you might like, but that your uh-huh. first impressions are bad. And she she chose something good because it has a terrible name. Oh, man. The CW TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It is such a terrible name. Outside of the, the show, um, I, don't even, I don't even know which network it's on, but The Chew, that that is a worse name. But Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is is a tight second to that. <laughs> and that is I was making fun of the name and clearly in the big chat Anne was talking about what a fan she was and some of the other people were you know that had seen it were fans as well and she used as an example some song that uh, where a guy bursts in, into song and, and is prideful about giving his girlfriend a urinary tract infection which I don't care how good the song is you shouldn't celebrate having a dirty dick so, correct yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. So I think she had, this has always been in the back of Anne's mind that, you know, to come up with some way to force me to watch it and doggone it. She figured it out and <laughs> had a plan. And, and here we are, I'm talking about this show that I, uh, I wouldn't have watched with your dick, Bobby. Um, but, uh, what we have, Thank and I dragged you into that. It. Well, I don't know that you dragged me in so much as it just became a battle of the sexes, despite the fact that we said it specifically wasn't going to become that. Mm-hmm. I think that what it became was the fans of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend 
challenging the people who had never really heard of it or seen it. And that was happened to be boys versus girls. Now, I don't know if every challenge going forward will have teams like this. So there may not be this weird middle part where we talk about our feelings (laughs) and then get judged for it. I thought it was a good way to get two shows out of out of the uh, the deal instead of just one where Anne and I talk back and forth about the Super Bowl and then Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So. Yeah. But anything to create more, as Luke would say, because the kids would apparently say hashtag content. And right. you didn't see it, but I actually made a hashtag with my fingers when I said <laughs> it because I feel like that's, nice. that's part of the deal when you're a cool kid. Um, yes. So if you're listening and you're a loyal listener to Little Red Bandwagon, you've already heard – uh, Anne and Meredith discuss their experience watching the Super Bowl. Uh, and this is our half of that deal, which is that we watched what we thought was going to be an equal amount of time of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, although there was a miscalculation in the length of an episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So we actually watched a bit more than the ladies did of the football. Yeah, we certainly did. It was not... Uh... It was a little bit of a surprise, but I stopped watching the clock after a while. Well, that's that's interesting. We'll get into that. Um, I have written a framework of questions since this this was about us, but Mike, really, it was about you. It was about Anne wanting to challenge you. I figured we better have a little framework to get through this conversation. So mm-hmm. let me ask you some questions. First, uh, were you at all familiar with the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or its creator slash star Rachel Bloom before this challenge. Um I I knew of the show just just from chatting with Anne. I didn't know anything about Rachel Bloom beforehand and and I don't know anything about her um now except for she's in that show. I I don't I I haven't found her elsewhere. I don't know where she came from or where she developed her comedy writing and and singing. Right. Well, it's certainly not our job to get into a biography, but as I was watching the show, I had this feeling that she was familiar from somewhere, and I couldn't place it until after I watched the assigned eight episodes that we watched. And then I realized, it came back to me, that she did a video short a few years ago called Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury, I think for Ray Bradbury's birthday, uh, wherein she shows her physical attraction to the sci-fi writer Ray Bradbury. And it's funny, although I think that in the way it's funny, it actually shares some significant parallels with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, at least in my experience. But that's where I recognized her, and that was years before the show came out. I think that was one of the things that probably put her on the, uh, you know, on the radar, is that that viral video. Yeah, I watched that video when you posted it here and and it is good and it's you know, it's very you can you can tell that, you know, she's very talented and, and she has a show like Crazy Ex Girlfriend uh in her and and it's uh what what the most remarkable part of the video to me was that the teacher in the video looks exactly like Carrie Burbank. So it's <laughs> it's worth going just for that. I noticed that too, actually. Um yeah, you know, I spoiler alert on some of my opinions. I think the video is really funny. I think that it it pushes the joke a little harder than it needs to in a couple of spots. Like it's very funny and it doesn't need that extra oomph. Yeah, the shock the shock value. And and I think thing. I mean, 
it's, yeah, it's doing you. it's doing it with a wink like it's very intentionally doing it uh and i think mm-hmm. the show does it in some spots too but uh, i don't want to just shit on it yet because that's actually not my overall opinion so um we talked a little bit about this already but um you know why did Anne task you with this and then how the alliances happened and christy who wasn't originally involved with this is actually very interested now in your thoughts well i think i mean I think Anne and Christy, and not really Meredith, uh, but I think Anne and Christy in particular like to uh, get me riled up. Let's just say that. They like to poke the bear. Make Mike mad. Um, (laughs) Make Mike mad. They like to do it. So not only are they sharing something that they actually like, and they probably, you know, want me to like it and want to enrich my life with it, they thought it would, uh, at least initially, make me angry having to watch uh, crazy ex-girlfriend. So obviously misery loves company and I didn't know if I was going to be miserable, but if I was, I wanted to uh, have somebody with me to take it uh, with me. But I also know that you're a great appreciator of music because you know, that's your job and you, and you have been exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and probably more of a, an appreciator of this kind of thing in general. So I thought it would be a good uh, counterbalance in case I really hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's funny because if you talk to some of the musicians that I work with on a daily basis, they would look down on this as stupid, you know, childish, amateurish. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even some of the people I work with can also just, you know, enjoy things. I heard a good interview with a great uh, retired hockey player recently. who's going to the hall of fame soon. And the interviewers asked him, can you just sit and watch a hockey game and just enjoy it? And he said, yes and no. Like it depends on if he actively wants to turn his brain off or not. And um, you know, I can turn my brain off and enjoy this, mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And I, I actually, you know, so I'm a victim, I'm a victim of gender equality or at least evenness in so mm-hmm. far as this podcast, because all the girls ganged up on you, so I'm on your side. Right. Uh, but uh, I, my next question was actually to talk about our previous experiences with musicals. And you actually brought this up on the last recap, too. Uh, but for me, you know, I was in high school musicals. I was always in the background because I could sing, but I was a terrible actor. So I was always in the chorus or in some small part where I could be in the background in every number to help bolster the guys. But Mm -hmm. never having to actually do anything in the foreground. I mean, jazz choir for me was the same way. 16, 20 voices, maybe a quick little solo. That's fine. Um, I had terrible nerves in high school though, like, Mm -hmm. like shaking illness. If anyone had just told me about beta blockers when I was 15 years old, I might've had a really different future. (laughs) Right. Right. You could have done the biathlon. You could have been in musicals. Right, exactly. I could have, I could have calmed myself, you know, a combination of yoga and drugs, and I probably really could have been something. But <laughs> um, so that you know, I grew up doing all that, and I was in my church choir and wanted to keep singing, and then realized I should be off stage, and that's my life story. That's how I ended up where I am. But Mike, you, you are not in my world now. So, what no. is your experience with singing and dancing and acting? I think I was in choir class and stuff like that when I was in like elementary school. I never had much of a voice. I could act a little bit, so that's why when when I had to quit sports for a year or two, that's why I did some acting. I never turned out for any musicals, even though I was encouraged to. I just 
didn't want to do something I suck at. That's why I don't golf a lot, you know, because I suck bef- when I had feet. So would be a hell of a handicap now, though. I mean, you could just go out there and literally kind of win every. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like 20 strokes for each peg leg. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't really I've never really appreciated musicals because, I mean, when I grew up, musicals were really earnest and you know that's that to me that's the worst part of it when they're they're trying to be earnest and it just it doesn't work because it i'm taken completely out by people bursting into song and the songs were usually pretty terrible even if they were catchy they were terrible catchy if you know what i mean yeah yeah so um after my parents got divorced i was about 13 and one of the things that uh I lived with my dad, so one of the things that my mom and I would do together, we had uh, season tickets to the Seattle Repertory Theater. And she didn't much care for musicals either, so at least two or three performances a year we we skipped, you know. We would just we would just go to Arby's <laughs> in downtown Bellevue and go, you know, go rent a movie and call it a night. Um yeah, we that was I mean, those tickets were expensive too. That's how much we disliked musicals. <laughs> In defense of the Great American Songbook, I think there are a lot of great musicals and musical numbers. And I think much like enjoying this show for me, enjoying musicals requires a certain amount of disassociation, especially those campy ones. You have to disconnect good musical performances from a good acting performance and a good storyline, because especially Mm -hmm. those early classic musicals, the plot is really just a device to push from song to song. Yeah. And yeah. and you find out later that a lot of them are reverse engineered because they've got four songs they want to use. And, you know, I still love white Christmas and holiday Inn, and, you know, I grew up listening to Gershwin and wanting to sing those songs and, you know, have those sort of loungy show tune American songbook songs. Um, I just can't do it, Bobby. I can't do it. (laughs) I I just can't do it. I'd rather I'd rather listen to Alan Rickman read the phone book than than listen to anyone sing in a movie. Uh well, I mean that that's I love good acting. Right. And you don't you don't I mean there are rare exceptions, but you don't get great acting with those kinds of You do not. You get Elvis Presley sometimes. I mean that's that's an extreme example, but all right, let's, <laughs> let's keep going because this says this will not go anywhere productive. Uh, tell me, did you prepare to watch the show? How and when did you prepare and how and when did you watch the show? I, I did it the way that I used to treat um, dental appointments when I was, uh, before I moved uh, down here, I, I wanted to get all my, all my dental stuff done because I didn't know how quickly I would have insurance down here and there were there were like three or four procedures I needed and I would make an appointment whenever you know whenever the next appointment was available but then I would tell the the medical assistant if anybody cancels just call me because I didn't want the time to dread you know the appointment so most of my appointments leading up to me moving down here were them calling me figuring out if I had an hour to have my mouth assaulted and, and then I would do it that way. So I wouldn't have those moments of dread. So I did that with, with this, I, I just kind of said, okay, well, I'll try to watch it on the weekend or whatever. And then I found myself on an afternoon. I think it was like a Friday afternoon. Um, Emily was out of town or something. And I was like, 
I turned it on. I said, let's rip this bandaid off. And I, I binge watched the whole thing. I wanted to ask if you had Emily join you for any of this or if it was just you or maybe just you and Edith. No, it, it was uh, just me. I don't think Edith um, enjoyed the caterwauling songs. Um, but uh, Emily and I have a lot of TV to watch that we have never even gotten to. You know, we need to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm together. We need to watch more of Last Man on Earth. You know, we like to watch comedies together because she feels weird watching, especially awkward comedies, which are our favorites, you know, yeah. awkward situations. She feels awkward when she's watching them alone she gets too cringy so and you don't think we have so much tv we're gonna watch together that i didn't want to include this one cutting out on a date to fuck a vegan you don't know as an <laughs> awkward cringy spoiler alert yeah there are some awkward moments in this thing but i knew these other these other shows are sure things for us and right. this this was a wild card so yeah. i yeah i told her i told her later it's it's worth watching but then of course she won't watch it without me and i don't want to rewatch it so Right. Uh, similarly, uh, Sam watches more TV than I do. That's her way of de-stressing, unwinding. She usually mm -hmm. does that while I'm out hosting trivia or working on something. So I half watch a lot of terrible TV with her, but I usually be tucked into my laptop or, you know, my phone or something. We don't have a lot of appointment TV together except NCIS, which shut up is our thing that we maybe I'll challenge someone to watch NCIS at some point, but I've been catching the end of some of those episodes right before the uh, the TNT NBA pregame comes See? on. It's pretty engrossing. It's pretty good. You catching some NC play NCIS New Orleans? Oh well, that's a different animal. I don't know that much about that one. I I can only handle so much baculin. If I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it in quantum leap. Um, I was going to say you catching players only because I can't. I don't have the patience for players only. Oh, yeah, I watch that on NBA TV, not not as much on TNT. Yeah, no. It's more fun on NBA TV because they're looser. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also watched it alone. I watched the first half of my assignment uh, at the house here before we started breaking things down uh, on the TV in like an early afternoon. I wasn't getting it was a work day, but it was quiet and I was working from home and no one was around and kind of had some time to kill. So I, I think it was like one to four in the afternoon or something. Oh, I watch it, it on the TV as well. I, I wanted to give it a you know full play, so I yeah. give it. I think the TV's fifty inches or something, so I you know I got the full effect. Right. Uh, for the second half of mine, I really, I watched it as sort of a desperation play, but I think that's how marathoning sometimes works. I had driven down to Westchester to visit some family friends, actually, because a, a relative of theirs passed away, and I was just going to console and visit and. It was late and the weather was garbage and it's a three hour drive back. So instead I got a cheap hotel room and I was going to drive back in the morning. And so I found myself in uh, Western Connecticut with nothing to do and nothing around and some time to kill. And so I laid in bed and I watched the uh, second half of my assignment on the laptop screen okay. in a hotel room, just, just smashing my pizza into the sheets. So, <laughs> and I, I made that I part up. It. Actually, it wasn't uh, stirring the, your drink. The with Laquita a Inn I was in is attached to an Outback Steakhouse. So I watched this while eating some spicy chicken kickers of some kind and fried shrimp from a from an Outback Steakhouse. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and so I got through my assignment, and then um, it was pretty late at night by the time I finished it. So I stopped, and I have not watched since the end of my assignment. Uh, would it spoil anything to ask you if you've continued on after your eight episodes? 
the hmm. I will reveal that at at the end of the uh the next okay. segment of this. I will say, you know, not to immediately disparage or not. I've just been really fucking busy with this move. I I oh, just yeah. flew back to I just flew back to Boston this morning. Um, I'm back and forth officially now, and so I haven't had time for anything. So you know that's not a value judgment. I just I stopped, and then I haven't stopped moving since then. Mm-hmm. Um, do we need to do a brief plot synopsis now that if anything else, this is sort of like holding up today's USA Today with the hostage. We need to prove we watched it. Yeah, yeah, I think a little bit. Uh, I, I'll, I'll start off. I mean, the, right. the here's spoilers. If you haven't watched it and you want to watch it and you want to enjoy this more, go watch now. Uh, but okay. you know, let me just make a point here. The plot doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about that. This is this is more like a sitcom than a serialized show in that each episode kind of stands on its own, um, and and. It's kind of like a Seinfeld where, yes, things there, there, there's there are things moving along, but you don't necessarily need to, you know, need to watch it in linear because you can enjoy an episode on its own. Right. Um, but um, the the premise of the show is there. <clears throat> there's a there's a breakup uh, from at a summer camp when these kids are like 16 years old, I think. And the the star of the show gets basically dumped by the um, the guy uh, as he's going. He's going to go back to his life, and he doesn't want to continue the relationship. It's just like a summer camp affair. And we find out later that he had a girlfriend at the time as well. Um, right. So they, <clears throat> it's like now it's like ten years later, and she's a young attorney. And she's she's really going places, and she gets offered a partnership, but she is you know she's sort of having a nervous breakdown, and um she she doesn't well she and she meets the ex boyfriend on the street for the first time she sees him, and he's you know he's hunky and gorgeous and he's nice, and and tells her that hey I live out in is it West Covina, I think it's yeah, West Covina, California, the, the pride of the Inland Empire. Right. If you're if you're ever out there, you know, look me up. And she's there's a lot of awkwardness there because she clearly is impressed and wants to jump back all over him. And he's super nice. And they part ways. Uh, And then she does not take the partnership. And she finds herself in West Covina stalking this fella because she wants to get him back. Yeah, I'll fill in some blanks here. So uh, Josh is the dopey hunky puppy dog boy. Uh, and when she gets to West Covina, she, after settling in at a sitcom background backdrop job at a goofy law firm, uh, commiserates with a bartender named Greg, who is also a dopey puppy dog, but a different kind, a smarter one uh, in his own way. Mm-hmm. And uh, she starts to confide in him, and clearly there's chemistry there. And boom, we've got the love triangle that so many plots through the years, through the decades, through the centuries, has hinged mm-hmm. on. Uh, we also get the uh, enemy turned bestie Paula, the paralegal, who is uh, protagonist Rebecca's best friend. That was the least believable pivot of of this whole show. I mean, 
a lot of the show was was really well put together, but that that pivot made no sense to me. Yeah, I'll I'll forgive it because uh, I think this is the pilot syndrome that a lot of shows have in the very beginning. Sometimes it's the pilot episode. Sometimes it's the entire first season. Like I never got through the first season of Parks and Rec, and I know everyone says the first season's awful. You've got to push through the first season of Parks and Rec, or maybe not awful, but like it hits its stride in the second season. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of pipe you've got to lay with plot. And yeah. so you spend a lot of time, you know, being like, oh, hey there, Mike Frizzell. What are you doing here out of prison six years later? You know, like sure. you, you got a lot of exposition you got to get through. And right. so they had to introduce her and give her some depth and then turn her around real quick. I just thought it could have been two two characters, you know, and one 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 could have kept trying to figure out what she was up to and then one could have abetted her efforts but they just made the one lady pivot completely and and it was strange yeah i get the feeling that if we keep watching if we kept watching maybe you have kept watching uh i get the feeling that the tent grows character wise and so Mm -hmm. new antagonists can come and go um but you know they need to give her a strong character right away and i will say um I was impressed with the casting and I think you've got some notes on this too. We'll get into that a little bit later, but not everyone's white, not everyone's skinny, not everyone's beautiful. Um, Mm. And that was, uh, that was fun, you know, for a contemporary show. I know more and more shows are going that way, but I'm still glad that's happening. Um, Who was um, skinny and hot is Josh's actual current girlfriend, Valencia. Mm -hmm. Although not my type, but definitely a, you know, a standard of attractiveness. Oh yeah, I I dig that type. I I really she is so hot. I'm serious here. She's yeah. very hot. Uh, we get the dopey boss, the coworkers, and then uh, later on in our little stretch, we get a, a, a more really more than a cameo from Doctor Phil. <laughs> right, right, right. And say what you want about him, he he's self aware. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, he he's built himself quite a brand on selling that shtick, so. Good for him, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the story thus far, the acting, and the musical performances? Um, I I really thought all of the acting performances were on point. Um, I think some of the dialogue is a little bit um, awkward, stilted. I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe, uh, I don't know, does Rachel Bloom write all this? I didn't even think to look. I, but, I, did, I didn't look either. I assume I, I got to think she has help. I mean, just based on the volume, yeah. but I mean, she's, she, she's got to have a heavy hand in it. This is clearly her thing. There's room, there's room for improvement on that. But I thought the, the reason I ended up liking the songs was not because, um, was not because I thought, you know, I, I've really coming around on, on people bursting into song. I'm not, at least the the whole premise you know of the show is so ridiculous that it, it they don't lose me when they break in a song in fact yeah. i liked it because most of the best jokes were in the songs yeah yeah so i think so if you're really paying attention i mean some of the jokes are just amazing the one where yeah. the guy has uh, sings about his awkward um overlove of his young daughter mm-hmm. um I think that's I mean, another clip that Anne has pushed on us at some point too. I know I yeah. I know I had seen that song before. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was one that she had cherry picked to try to sell us on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. Uh, it really was. Yeah, I think... Uh, well, let me... You know, you continue on your thoughts. You've got the... The... The acting, the dialogue, meh, as you wrote in your notes, but the lyrics yeah. the songs are on point. One thing that I thought they really got right, and I don't know if she's just had a lot of experience um, with Pacific Islanders or if there's someone on her staff that, that is tied in that community, but um, they really got the family dynamic of Pacific Islanders. And the reason I even know about this is there there are three, I, I come out from from three different perspectives. One, my cousin married a Samoan girl and I went to the wedding and it was fantastic. They, 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 um, they just really embraced Chris and our whole family. And it was, it was such a great fun event. And then later on, I think, I think my cousin, um, he, he was accused of hitting her, I think at some point and they divorced and, hmm. Um, he, he's been in constant fear for his life ever since. And I hope there's no pictures of me at that wedding because, um, these, these generally are people who are, when they're with you, they are with you. And when they're again, you, they are again, you, and you best not be found. So I, I found more of that later when I was working for the IRS. It was my first grown up job when I got my, after I got my useless broadcast journalism degree and, um, the, the, our floor of the federal building had a uh, had a softball team. We were the Texas Rangers, and it was it consisted of all Islanders <laughs> except for me because they found out I could play ball better than almost any of them. So they were like, "Okay, we'll make an exception." And those people were just delightful. And they would they knew I was single, so they tried to set me up with some of their ladies. They would they would give me food to take home. I mean, it was like. It was like a movie in and of itself, you know, uh, and they were so nice. And, and I, I missed that when I moved away to Florida, I was like, yeah, I really miss those people. And then moved away to Florida, went to prison. And I think I've talked before about chemo. He have the, the chode, um, tuna can dick. It's, it's short, but it's thick, bro. Um, and after I shaved my stupid facial hair, he decided he liked me and I'd never felt more taken care of um in my life than uh, the way chemo took care of me in in prison making sure i had everything i needed and and paying me to play ball for his teams and stuff um so i've had really positive experience with islanders and and the 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 show where the show where she goes over to his house what's the josh she goes over to josh's house for thanksgiving dinner sort of Mm -hmm. invites herself over there Mm -hmm. and they like her they always did like her and the, 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 the current girlfriend is there and they don't like her. It's just, that is, that is so Islander, you know, they've made up their minds. There's nothing, there's nothing that other girl can do to get back in. And there's almost nothing that, that, that the main character um, could do to screw it up. And in fact, I think she should have shit up that bathroom because I, I think they would have forgiven her after all that Filipino food that she shouldn't have been eating. <laughs> All but right. th- that's my experience, you know. Um, the Guamanians in in my um, in my unit at Sheridan used to cook for me, and and one of them would always consult me to set the betting lines on the on the games that were happening out in the in the yard, and he would pay me for that. So I mean, these people they take care of people. 
So I was really impressed that, that, that they nailed that show. That was my favorite episode. I'd be mad at you for talking about prison this much on the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend episode, except... <laughs> I had to make it about me. The lady spent a good amount of time talking about commercials and other tangents during the Super Bowl football experience, true, true. so that's fine. I did it in service of a compliment to the show as well. Right, right. I, I, I think, generally speaking, you hit a lot of the same notes I did. I mean, I don't, I don't have the Pacific Islander or prison experiences that you did, but... Um, you know, I, I thought the, much like that video I mentioned earlier, which we'll link or something probably some of the songs and some of the jokes just are a little forced, a little more than I think they need to be. Um, but I realized that there's a CW audience that needs to be, uh, appreciated there. Mm -hmm. So I'll get it. And then that extra shove is for the 15 year old girl waiting for supernatural to come on or something. So I hadn't thought of that, but that's, that's a good point. And, and I also think that over time she will probably get more nuanced and become a better writer and more subtle. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. She, she seems fairly young and she's probably the long career of, uh, especially, um, I mean, performing. Yes, but I mean, she's a good writer. So yeah. If she would just smile more, <laughs> shut up. No, that's <laughs> I'm just putting that in there so that the ladies will have something to get mad at me for. Um, yeah. We already talked about whether or not the plot matters or if it's just in service of the performances. I think it's more of the latter. The plot is yeah. very basic. And it's also, you know, you know, Shakespeare, the, going back to Shakespeare, there's like, what, seven or nine different kinds of storylines. And other than that, they're all kind of the same anyway. So whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so the big question then, because we're already pretty deep in here. Do we want to talk about whether or not you liked it? And would keep watching it, or do we want to save that for our conversation with the ladies? I, let's let's save that. I think that's that'll be that'll be the uh, nugget that uh, will keep people past the the clip here, our little break. All right, so uh, that's it. We'll see you on the other side, guys. Bye, um, Bobby. I need to make a comment to you before we start this. I never want to hear you say hashtag content again <laughs> because I cannot be certain that you won't be making the hashtag symbol with your fingers and I can't have that. How do you do that? I mean, well, the thing is the lines aren't parallel because they're your fingers. I guess if you used your, your index finger and your ring finger on each hand, Oh, yeah, you, you could, could do that. Yeah. You could keep them parallel, but it would yeah. be incredibly uncomfortable. I'm doing um, it with my index and middle fingers. It's well, fine. Well, that's what right. I did, but the, yeah. lines, the lines aren't coming together. I mean, it's at not appropriate cool. Angles. I don't feel good yeah. about this, but I'm doing I picture it. it being the like the millennial version of like when I used to cross myself uh, when I was shooting free, th free throws for Eastside Catholic. You know, you're, mm. you're doing mm -hmm. it in the air. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So hashtag is like a Jesus to millennials. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of true. And if it helps you feel any better, I did feel like I needed a shower right after I did. <laughs> All <laughs> right, <doesn't>. good. <laughs> Let's just have no more of that. I hope you've learned your lesson. <laughs> um, I have one tiny nitpick that I want to get into before we get into this discussion. And that is that you specifically referenced the first song that I shared with you guys to try and entice you to watch the show, which is the, the song where the man is so proud of himself for giving the lady a UTI. And you guys were like, Ugh, that's gross. It is never funny. 
to be bragging about your dirty dick. They say specifically in the body mm-hmm. of the song that the reason that she has a UTI is because of vigorous and um, frequent sex, yes. not because yes. he's dirty. That's why he's proud of himself. Yeah. Okay. Well, frequent uh, often involves meaning coming in contact with a dick fairly often, which sometimes is going to be dirty. You're playing oh, the percentages no. there. No. It doesn't... G- Mike, that, it's just a, a natural thing with the lady's body. When it's a new person and it's a lot, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has nothing mm-hmm. to do person with them being with dirty. A dirty no, dick. Mike. You have to go pee afterwards, otherwise it's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you guys remind me to tell Will to not let Aiden listen to this episode? <laughs> no, he needs to know these things. <laughs> Keep your dick clean, Aiden. It's not your fault. Please. Well, and he specifically says... <laughs> it's not your fault, Aiden. Yeah. You had a dirty dick. He specifically says uh, in the song that he knows he shouldn't be proud of this, but he doesn't care. He's proud of it anyway. So there Don't is... Don't ever be proud of making a lady sick. Come on. It's so terrible. He has some self-acknowledgement that this is not the most appropriate way to feel but he feels that way anyway he can't help it because he's so proud of himself so i just wanted to establish that <laughs> um even a squirrel can be vigorous <laughs> oh, excuse God. me we need to end this line of discussion right let's move on <laughs> all right yes let's get into my discussion notes i've made a few numbered areas that i'd, I'd like to talk about um let's <laughs> if there was a clean way to make your run sheet the show picture i would yeah do we it. have to share <laughs> this in some way this is amazing um i'd like to start by talking about how you guys approach the assignment um there was a lot of talking about my skullduggery and machinations in figuring out a way to get mike to watch this that Anne with a plan was looking for a way to force mike to watch the show to which i will plead guilty um yes absolutely i was gonna say tell me i'm wrong but i, I was ready to be indignant <laughs> about that but and and some speculations that ann and christy were perhaps on a mission to make mike mad that we just like poking the bear i'm glad i was excluded from that <laughs> yeah, yeah you don't do that. it's not you meredith that's we don't have that kind of relationship. that is true for These me ladies, that, that's though. very true for me but also, I watched this show that you've been talking about called Big Mouth. And after half an episode, I said, oh, Mike would like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I recommend Big Mouth, especially for Phyllis, although she will never watch anything because <laughs> she doesn't. Uh, she is a character in yep. that uh, in that sitcom. Um, I can be argumentative occasionally. I have a little bit of an argumentative streak, which pleases my therapist. Not at all. Um, And I do occasionally like to just have a good verbal discussion about things, a little back and forth. So maybe I try to push your buttons on a rare occasion, Mike. But this was not one of those occasions. I truly thought... It was a more grand button pushing (laughs) project. I mean, it was like a a Rube Goldberg uh, type... (laughs) button pushing machine that you built well none of this was intended to be painful to you because i watched the show and i think it's so funny and its sense of humor is so off kilter i just thought that you would really appreciate it but whenever i talked about it you were just so automatically dismissive of it and title right i and i Mm -hmm. and the 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 fact that it was a musical and i understand that as we 
say in the TBTL universe, sometimes it's just not for me. So I didn't go into this thinking that all of a sudden you'd be like, I love musicals now. I'm going to go watch Showboat. I thought that you <laughs> right. might like this despite <laughs> it's being a musical. And what really got mm -hmm. to me was that you poo-pooed it and dismissed it without ever watching one minute of one show. And so that's what I wanted mm -hmm. was just to... Well, it's like, uh, to me, it was like cockfighting. You know, I don't need to go to a cockfight to know that, that it's not for me. Do not compare right. this to cockfighting. <laughs> well, maybe it is for you. Has this experience taught you nothing? <laughs> it, to me, it's um, musicals are like what cottage cheese is for Andrew. <laughs> An but apt analogy. The, the difference between this, and I don't know if we had planned to get into this later, but is that these songs, these musical numbers are all happening in her head. There, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was in the first eight episodes where you hear her yeah, singing voice and if she's terrible. Like she oh, has it's the awful first line of the pilot. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first line of the pilot, you hear her singing at summer camp and she's, yeah, she's terrible. terrible. There's yeah. another. It really, it really does help. That's and it's point, all Chris. in her mind. This isn't a, a show like Glee where they're talking and then all of a sudden they break out in song and dance and then, yeah, fuck then that. everyone That's just horrible. goes on like this is a normal thing. No, this this no, is all in not. her head. And then even when she references songs back like, oh, but you told me this. And the character goes, uh, that never happens. Like, I didn't say that, actually, mm -hmm. you know, because she's cooked it up all in her mind. Yep. And I, I think that your criticism of musicals is definitely valid about how they are too earnest. And uh, it really you can't get into it because of the earnestness factor and how people who are really really good singers don't tend to be great actors it's hard to find people that can do both so that makes it difficult and and I have the same impulse I went to see Pippin a couple of years ago and Pippin is god late 60s or early 70s so it's right in that era that you're talking about and as I was sitting there and the first musical number was playing I was like I don't think I can do this this is <laughs> kind of lame and then before yeah. I knew it, I had gotten absorbed into it and it was intermission and I was really appreciating it. So I somehow f can fall into the spell and it definitely seems like that's something that you are immune to. Well, I just may have not hung in long enough. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a reality suspension process mm -hmm. for things like that, that that I know I can fall into as well. And Mike and I discussed that a little bit in the clip, you know. I'm okay with falling into the Gershwin songbook and going into those musicals, those really classic musicals and enjoying them. But it takes a certain mindset to just sort of clear out the outside world. Right. And it's not intended to be cinema verite. It's a lot like when Luke and Andrew were having the mind-numbingly long discussion of the Three Billboards movie. And Luke was <laughs> like, but it's not realistic. And we were like, but it's not supposed to be right, realistic. It's a movie. They're, they're doing something different with it that is not, it's not a documentary. And he was like, oh, but But what like if fiction. what you, kind of what you appreciate is thing, are things like The Wire. Right. Where it's fiction, but it's realistic. Mm -hmm. So what you expect from your fiction is something realistic. Right. I think that's what Luke right. was getting. And if that, and if. Which is fine. Right. If, if that's something that you don't necessarily expect, then I think you're going to be more susceptible to the spell of musicals 
So, mm. but I can totally understand that there are people that just are like, nope, nope, can't do it, not for me. I still haven't seen it, by the way, so don't tell me which billboard did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick. It was none of the billboards. It was the fourth one. It's a hydro race at the end. Everyone votes. Right. Now, another point that um, you guys discussed that I want to bring up is the idea of the quote-unquote miscalculation about the length of an episode, about how you guys ended up watching more Crazy Ex-Girlfriend than Mm -hmm. we ended up watching uh, of Super Bowl. And I would like to go back to a message to me and Meredith and Christy from Sarah Nichol Smith. This was about a month ago. And she says to us, just curious if someone is going to point out to Mike that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is an hour-long show. Are you going to let him figure that out for himself? (laughs) And my response was, shh. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Chris Hayes should be on this fucking... (laughs) Well, technically, isn't it like 44 minutes? It's 40-something minutes, yeah. and it's like 42 minutes and is the about Super Bowl the average for feels like show. eight hours. Let's be <laughs> right. honest. Well, if you're not enjoying musical comedy, it could feel <laughs> well, like a lifetime. And what happened, this is what I said to Sarah in this chat, is I originally said three episodes when I was making the challenge. And mm-hmm. then when we started talking Super Bowl, I bumped it to six. And then I just put an eight to see what you would do. (laughs) I never thought that you would actually be like, okay, I'll watch eight episodes. And when you weren't protesting, I started to feel kind of guilty about it. But when I told Sarah that, she goes, and that's how you boil a frog. (laughs) And, And if you really had those feelings, you know, if you really felt that I would love the show, why did you think six Three, six, eight episodes, whatever, would make a difference. I'll tell you. Would not be creaming my jorts from the beginning? Uh, well, because pilots are notoriously terrible. And for for this one... It wasn't great. Yeah, and and the, the second so the second episode, they have whole new characters. Um, they start to get their foot. And like she had said, it was originally filmed for Showtime and then completely edited and chopped and screwed, as they say. Um yeah. And always the first episode is, is pretty terrible. All great shows, bad. Um, and I, I usually give a show three to five episodes and then decide if I like it or not. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think the six was a good, a good option. I'm not sorry about it. I'm just disappointed. In, in, uh, <laughs> well, I, just, oh. I kept waiting for you to protest. And my plan was to say that you should watch as many episodes as your conscience dictated. But you never said you anything. You kept waiting to for an opportunity <laughs> to be honest? Yeah. Oh, Mike, it's not hard. Just look at when you started the first show, you could have said, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> but the, the last thing about this is that further down in the chat, Christy said, it could be worse. We could have made him watch Riverdale. <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah, we saved you. That would have been I don't know torture. What that is. We saved you. You're welcome. Okay. We asked you Thank guys you. to watch a show that we actually like and we think is really good. We didn't do anything to be mean, right. and I just the the point of the project. Yeah, yeah, it's not to right. torture you. No, and I just thought the more episodes I could get you to watch, the more things would happen, the more that the characters would develop, yeah. and maybe the more interesting that it would be okay all right so we got to get into some 
show content here. So let's talk about, in general, why we like it. I have a few reasons, but I'll let other people, Christy, Meredith, chip in first. Meredith, you can go first. Um, this show was introduced to me by my friend Jocelyn, and she presented it to me as, okay, don't pay any attention to the name. Just give this a try. <laughs> I promise you're going to like it. And it did take me a little bit to get into it, um, but I trust her judgment. And I absolutely love um, so much about this show. I, I, I'm not super into musicals, but um, the musical numbers are, are my favorite part of the show, of every show, usually. Um, I love that it's a female-centered cast and um, crew. I love that they don't shy away from controversial topics, and I love the way that they handle mental illness. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about this show is the that kind of um, storyline I did not see coming at first. Like It puts the title of the show into greater relief um because when you think of crazy ex-girlfriend you just think of some like oh she's just not over her boyfriend it's mm -hmm. not that that's not what this show is um she she does There's have a lot more going yeah on. she does have some mental illness right yeah. i mean maybe because i have that in my next section to talk about under themes and maybe we can expand on that a little bit now is one of the things that you guys said when you were talking was that the plot really isn't that relevant. It doesn't matter that much because it's mostly a way to drive the jokes and the songs. And I guess thinking about it, I can under understand why you would say that having watched just the first eight episodes. But I find that the plot, the plot is very important to the underlying theme of mental illness in it. And and uh, I don't know if anybody listened to the little clip that I posted in Slack that was um, Rachel on the hilarious world of depression. I know Mike didn't listen to it because it does have John Moe in it. But um, <laughs> but she, she was talking about sort of what informed the character. And she said, essentially, it's a show about a woman who is mentally ill and deeply, deeply unhappy. Because mm -hmm. why else would she quit a $545,000 a year job? to go move to West Covina, California, two hours from the beach, four in traffic, <laughs> and chase this guy that she hasn't seen for 10 years. It's because there's something truly wrong with her and wrong with her her life. And so a lot of the show is about wh what does it mean when you call a woman crazy? What does that mean? There are a lot of different boxes. And uh, in fact, the third season of the show um, – has a, a theme song that addresses this they actually rewrite the theme song every year so there are three different ones and in the third season she actually plays four different characters in in the theme song and one is like a Beyonce sort of crazy in love type and one is a Carrie Underwood um, before he cheats smashing the windshield of the car with the bat and one is an Eminem like bitches be crazy and one is like a punk uh, I'm crazy and I love it. And so it's all these different ways that we can look at women and put them into these boxes. And this is a show that kind of breaks out of that and looks and, at, at why. Hmm. And yes, I'm just following yeah. your directions by jumping in here. Yes. Tell me when I stop. Okay. Okay. Cause you're filibustering a little bit. But <laughs> it, I think one of the, one of the main um, indicators that she is mentally ill is that Josh is awful. 
He is dumb as rocks. I cannot stand him. He is not worth (laughs) moving across the country for. He's an idiot and he has no ambition and he's awful to talk to. Yeah, and there's there's times when she kind of sees that, like when he can't fill out the essay um, for the job at the electronics store and she fills it out and she's just like, okay. Um, So it gives, like, she gets these hints often but just doesn't take it yeah that's not i mean he's not the point the point is that she's unhappy with her life and she's latched onto him right and he called her he called her sexy right just when she she needed that and she's reminded of a time in her life when she was truly happy and instead of tying happiness to that time and what she was doing she ties the happiness to him and then she becomes desperate to get him as a way to achieve her happiness so it all it all goes down to her mental illness. Okay, so I, I when I yes. when I interjected, it was actually to say something, and then you guys just kept doing your podcast about crazy ex girlfriend, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. If you want and? to break it down episode by episode, we have a format for that. We can put it on the ten seven ten network. It'll be great. Hashtag sorry not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing it, but you guys go crazy. Um, no, I I wanted to remind you that from our perspective as being new to the show, and I won't speak from, for Mike specifically, but you know, I'll say from my perspective, being new to the show from the very beginning, uh, the sudden life change, fish out of water, complete new surroundings, quirky, zany main character doesn't immediately read as mental illness because that's the plot of so many sitcoms from the eighties and nineties. Like, Somebody who's just suddenly got a kid or suddenly in this other city or just Mm -hmm. discovered this person in their life. Like there are so many of those gimmicks to set that up. And when I said that plot doesn't matter, it's more that she's going through her thing. And the plot is a very simple plot, at least in the first eight episodes, purely as a device to let her exercise her personal shit. You know, it's not that complicated. (laughs) I'm sure it gets more complicated as the seasons go on. It must if it's gone this long through three seasons. And mm-hmm. and that is the reason that I really wanted to push as many episodes on you guys as possible so that we could maybe start to get past some of the stock plots and stock characters that you start every show with. Yeah, it gets mm-hmm. much more interesting and dark as the mm-hmm. show goes on. And and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to kind of um, be up to date on it to understand what they're going for. It makes so much more sense now that I've watched all of it. Yeah, I made the point that there were a lot of very one-dimensional characters. And I see in the notes from you guys uh, that changes. Oh, yeah. It does. And and these characters develop and round out and become more dynamic characters, which is good. Although I can see the cast getting unruly large if they all do it. There are but, some departures, uh, no. but one yeah, of the things I down. really, yeah, one of the things I really appreciate is that Valencia um, isn't a villain mm-hmm. um, for yes. the whole time. She starts out mm-hmm. that way, no, but she doesn't hot. end that way. <laughs> yeah, for Mike's sake, does she stay smoking hot? I mean, again, <laughs> she she's does. not really my type, <laughs> yes. but she is really good at yoga still. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, that keeps me going. The interesting about Valencia is she is a heinous bitch. And she remains the heinous bitch, mm-hmm. but you start to understand that she's not the villain. She's right. she's not the be- she is the wronged party. Well, they're all heinous bitches in in their own ways, D- in right. different ways. But she becomes we still love a them. 
she becomes a slightly less heinous bitch when we understand her point of view Mm -hmm. of it all. Yeah, they take the goofy boss and they send him down a pathway that you would never have seen coming unless I'm just totally, completely clueless. I didn't see it coming either. (laughs) Mm -mm. I know. I think that's episode 11 or 12. I was like, so close. I got them (laughs) so close to episode 11. I caught hints that he had a a heart. I mean, there was a soft side, but... Mm -hmm. Well, well, let's not talk about beyond these episodes now because we right. can hardly get through what we've already got assigned. <laughs> right. Christy, do you want to talk about why you like the show in general? Um, everything that everybody said, um, Anne introduced me to it and I loved it. And at first, I, uh, the same thing. I was like, oh, this is kind of quirky. I like it. But it was like a in the background kind of show and then at some point I just fell in love with it and then I heard her on Anna Ferris's podcast it was a two-part everyone should listen to that um and just the way that she talked about the show and her life and the characters and the people that she cast in the show and why um made me love it even more yeah oh and also just showing real bodies I think is very yes. important and yes not yep. even common even uh, Rachel Bloom herself, she is very attractive, and but she's essentially like a normal-sized woman. She's got boobs. She's got a butt. She's got a little mm-hmm. bit of tummy jiggle on there. She's got those heavy boobs. <laughs> yes, yeah. she does. She's got a nice, nice set of them. But, um, but Bobby, you actually brought this up uh, on the clip about Hang on, how... I'm just writing heavy boobs into my notes. Uh, <laughs> it's a good song. It's one of my favorite songs. Song. <laughs> That's a song. I didn't just say that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I noticed that right away. The people are sort of, well, more than sort of normal looking. Um, goofy, I think, I think there are traits in the characters that are accentuated intentionally to, to give them contrast from one another. But yeah, very generally speaking, um, Rachel looks like dozens of, of downstate Jewish girls I went to college with <laughs> because that's where they all came from was mm-hmm. Westchester or Long Island. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And the diversity in casting seems to have been a natural thing. You know, you watch a lot of shows and you're like, okay, you, you can tell that they were in some conference room and they're like, okay, we got this white middle-aged lead guy now we need like a young woman she can be white or maybe mexican and now we got to have the you know the black guy or maybe he could be mexican and then you know pick pick someone else i don't care minority of your choice and then it goes and gets focus groups but from this show i get more of the sense that they just cast this way because they cast this way they weren't trying to make it a thing which i really appreciate yeah they picked the best singers and dancers i mean Josh in real life, Josh Chang, I don't remember what his name is, but is a like a Broadway performer and mm-hmm. so is Greg. So she picked singers and dancers and it didn't matter what they look like. Yep. And uh, I have this further on down the list, but since you bring it up, Christy, the whole concept of the Asian bro as the <laughs> Filipino American as the romantic lead mm-hmm. is not something that you see very often at all and I know that we're doing a little bit better in terms of representation on TV but uh, when you see Asians mostly they're you know your scientists or your doctors or whatever I mean this guy he's the the alpha mm-hmm. in the pack mm-hmm. uh, it's a complete it's not not even a stereotype it is a thing mm-hmm. uh, Islander bros 
it is. I mean, he's the coolest of the. But coolest. it's also a thing in movies and TV to to um, the the Asian male is never the love interest. No, he's always like the sidekick or something. Um, right. So and he's always right. like stereotypical Chinese or Japanese. Mm-hmm. There's some hot Asians out there. <laughs> yeah, there are. But but Josh is so much the alpha that the other guy mm-hmm. named Josh they call White Josh. Yes. No, there's Josh and White right. Josh. I love that. Right. And that's so funny. And actually, I I have to share this because I thought it was so funny. The guy who plays White Josh or Y Joe, as we call him, <laughs> uh, David Hull, he actually tested for the part of Greg, and they said to him, "I'm sorry, you look too much like the guy we've got to play Josh Chan. We just we can't cast you." Because it would be too weird. Mm -hmm. And then almost a year later, they called him back up and they were like, so we wrote a part for you. (laughs) So they wrote this part specifically because he looked so much like Josh Chan. Lesser Josh. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. So I I love that. I love that diversity and just the casualness of it. And I love Greg. I love his character and I love him as a performer. Mm -hmm. Um, He is... In my mind, like she, I always want her to be with him. <laughs> I'm like, come on, hook up with Greg. Go hook with, up Greg? with Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I can't remember who I mentioned this to, but I actually have seen him on stage because he trained here in Minneapolis with the University of Minnesota has a partnership with the Guthrie Theater, which is the big name uh, theater here in town and I went to see a performance of Hamlet like 12 or 15 years ago and he played Hamlet and he was so good that I always remembered him and then a couple of years ago after I saw Frozen I thought oh god that guy who does the part of Prince Hans is really good I wonder who that was Mm -hmm. yeah that's him that's Greg oh I didn't know that yep and then he showed up on this show again and I was like oh my god he's just he's really talented that's all um, okay, anyway, I really am trying to cover some of this material. I did want to touch on one of the reasons that I like it so much is the humor is very dirty and profane, but also just like completely goofy in a way that it doesn't need to be. Like in a way, you know, reflects its creator's sensibilities and not like focus group tested. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking, so um, you guys talked about the really funny musical number that was Daryl, the goofy dad, who is just slightly too in love with his (laughs) eight-year-old daughter, Madison, which is a great number. And uh, as part of his like custody case, she comes in for a a scene and there's no reason for them to do anything about it, but they introduce the point that she has pet snails and all the pet snails are named after pop starlets. So there's like Snaily Perry and my favorite is Iggy Asnalia. I mean, they don't have to do that shit. She has a YouTube channel where she does shows and she's like, it's me and my snails. It's, it's such a 30 Rock style. It's the, the thing is also, you can tell that writer's room is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I would love to sit in there because you know that they just spent hours coming up with those names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And then beyond that, for the totally goofy humor, it gets into some really inappropriate humor for network t- 
TV, like in that same storyline when she first meets her boss and he immediately asks her to represent him in his custody battle, despite mm-hmm. the fact that she's a real estate lawyer and not family law. And he says something to the effect of, my wife went out and she got this big fancy Jew lawyer. I, now I can say that I have a Jew that went to Harvard. Yeah, I'm like, Jew what? to like UC <laughs> David or something. <laughs> And she says, we're going to talk about the Jew thing later. But <laughs> they're not afraid to go to just these crazy inappropriate places with the humor, which I I just don't see anywhere else. Well, and that's why I thought Mike would like it, because of that. Yes, exactly. Because I'm often inappropriate. Well, because the shows or... you watch, like Rick and Morty oh, and Big Mouth and like all those things that... Um, kind of make fun of themselves like even the simpsons like make fun of itself in it but are pretty blue that's why i thought you'd like it i will say the joke that made me laugh the hardest twice in the eight episodes we watched was the hit the ladies room i'm not a football player yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) followed by the callback to that joke from her mother when she tells the same joke yep they're always going to go there. Um, and let's see. And move this along. Um, <laughs> we talked about the mental illness uh, angle to it. And so I don't want to go back into that too much. Other than to say that that has real resonance to me. Because I'm mm-hmm. not shy about mentioning that I go to see the therapist. And I've had a lot of problems with depression for a long time. And this show really addresses that in a way that really resonates with me. And and the few times when she allows herself to go to the dark place i mean she uses the songs to camouflage the sad and pathetic parts of her and when occasionally she can't manage to do that she goes to this really horrible horrible place that is a place that is intimately familiar to me (laughs) so (laughs) i really appreciate seeing that portrayed on on television i think yeah and deeper there was also the scene when she decided that moving to West Covina is exactly what she needed and that she was throwing away all of her um, meds. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, that's yeah. pretty, yeah, like that is definitely something that people on antidepressants do regularly. Oh, I'm yep, feeling I'm great. Better. I don't need this anymore. Well, that's because mm-hmm. you took meds. <laughs> all right, let's move on a little bit to the role of music. I think, Christy, you really nailed it before about how the musical numbers are in her in her head mm-hmm. and that's how she she copes with the world and she talked a little bit about that on the hilarious world of depression and about how all those different musical personas are her trying on different identities because she doesn't know who she is and so she's cycling through these different scenarios and different characters and trying to kind of figure out who she is and it provides the excuse for them to do hilarious parody musical numbers some mm-hmm. of which are definitely reverse engineered into the show yes you made that point (laughs) Mm -hmm. about musicals early on and it is so true there is no reason for that heavy boobs song to be in the show at all (laughs) other than it's great and hilarious Mm -hmm. yeah yep there's one that I, I posted in our slack channel which is from season three which is a minor character who has really not a lot to drive the plot forward at all and they clearly created a side plot just so that they could get him to sing the song about him learning that he's never actually given his wife an orgasm 
<laughs> Somebody <laughs> had that idea. And it was like, yes. we have got to get this I don't this know in the where show. he stole that song from my archive. I'm Litigation is... Does imminent. it um, cut too close <laughs> to home, Mike? I can't talk about... My attorney says I can't talk about this, this song. And then, um, Bobby, you talked a little bit about... Um, about how the people that you work with in, in your day job and your day arena in the classical music world would very much turn up their noses at this. And yeah, yeah. I mean, technically speaking, they're definitely superior to what's going on in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. But I would also remind them exactly what the biggest concert they do every season is and that's the one where they play the score from West Side Story and yep. project the movie while they do it. I mean, that's yep. what <laughs> people really connect to. Oh yeah, I I mean, I work with a percussionist who gauges how good of a year he had by how many Messiah performances he can take or not take. <laughs> right. <laughs> if he has a good year, he passes all of them and if he has a bad year, he takes as many of them as he can get. I mean, it's just that's that's how that works. Absolutely. I mean, I worked for an orchestra where the pop series helped bankroll the classical series. That's mm-hmm. normal. Right. Um, but from an artistic fulfillment side, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, you know, they it, look at their... what it is. Yeah, they look at their art as high art, and, and there are stations on the dial that their car stereos would never go to. <laughs> yes. But for all of that, there is some musical sophistication to this because they do a lot of uh, reprises and callbacks to old, different songs, old songs. Like yep. um, uh, one of the songs that you saw in the first eight uh, episodes was uh, Settle For Me, which is Greg asking Rebecca to take him, even though he Good knows song. he's the second choice. Solid. And then later on in the season, a completely different character sings it in a different context but says, don't settle for me. And then in the third season, they were going to bring it back, but they had to cut it for time, I read. And it's somebody else singing Settle for Her. So they keep taking these sort of ideas and twisting them around. And even though they didn't include it in season three, they did repurpose the theme. You can hear it in the score. Or like when she she has the <laughs> I have friends, I definitely have friends song. <laughs> that comes back all, all the time. The time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Whenever she's feeling like really sad and lonely, you can hear the I Have Friends theme <laughs> playing underneath it. That kind of motif building is is classic musical mm-hmm. and musical yeah. movie stock and trade. That's I mean that 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 built an entire era of classical or rather of musical theater. Yeah. So there is some um following of established rules and norms. It's not just completely blowing up the musical theater genre, even though they yeah. are doing takeoffs of Beyonce and um, Huey Lewis and the News, which is my favorite one, but I can't show it to you because it has a major spoiler in it uh, <laughs> and all sorts of goofy things that go on. Well, she definitely needs a new drug. What, what are you spoiling? <laughs> yes, she does. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a song that she sings. No. <laughs> um, All right, so we talked a lot about the casting and the characters and how it's um, refreshing to have sort of real-looking people and how they're very uh, accomplished. I just wanted to ask anybody, um, 
who their favorite minor characters because I listed a bunch of these in my notes here mm -hmm. and there are so many that I just like I was like oh my god they haven't seen Trent how can they not have seen Trent <laughs> for He's me my favorite. by far the boss at the white law. feather Daryl yeah, yeah. Daryl he's so Darryl great it's great yeah um mine on the first season is um Paula and currently it's Heather Oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say Heather. Heather's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> I'm just so into White Josh. I can't even tell you. He's the <laughs> only one of any of them that <laughs> has any sense. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> and, and in fact, he was such a great character, and they evolved him so much that he's a series regular now yeah. in season three from having just sort of a few, being like the dopey bro friend type. But... I don't know. They don't waste anything like Father Bra, the priest. Mm -hmm. I've never yes, seen right? another character like that. Yeah. He's hysterical. Bobby, so who's your favorite secondary Bef character? Before I answer, Father Bra is the is the uh, is the bartender confidant pseudo priest that pops up in a lot of other shows. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, he's he's yeah. that kind of uh, down to earth guy mm -hmm. and i say that if you're a straight shooter that's where you go for your your solid advice mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. right he also happens to be the executive story editor for the show but ah. you know uh, there you go is it bra b-r-a b-r-a-h b-r-u-h what is the it's father it's surfer because no he okay. got his nickname from for josh because his name is father joseph to Father Joe, to Father Bro, to Father Bra. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mrs. Hernandez, obviously. Oh, she's so great. <laughs> yeah, she's great. That's what the kids are calling me. What was that one kid that one time called <laughs> Father yep. Bra? All right, let's get into criticisms. I don't have any. What? You do too. You did a whole <laughs> podcast on it. Kidding. That wasn't criticism. That was uh, that was a conversation. It was discussion. It was discussion. Mm. It wasn't actually very critical at all. We can all agree that the writing can be kind of in your face, right? The jokes mm -hmm. can be a little yeah. over-explained. Especially probably, the first season. Yeah, that's probably some CW influence. Um, I feel like that changes I, 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 you know, time. You know what, Meredith? Yes, I agree with that. It felt a hundred percent network, yeah, to me. When when they went too far with a joke, I'm like, no, I got that two mm -hmm. jokes ago. Next, yeah. Joke. I read an article where she said absolutely not. They didn't change a single thing, really, in terms of uh, it audience. Might be just rookie for, writing. Then. It might be. I think it's Rachel because she's a person that clearly has the impulse to turn it up to eleven every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's what she's doing a lot of the time. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that was my primary, it's just, it's not a bad show at all. Uh, it's it's definitely, it strings together the musical numbers and the big jokes and the big plot development. The, the bits that hold it together are just a little weak. And, mm -hmm. and compared to a lot of the crap that's more popular on TV, that's not that big of a criticism. Yeah, right. That's true. I mean... I will never stop reminding everyone that I've seen every episode of NCIS. Not, <laughs> not that New Orleans stuff that Mike's been dabbling in, but the the OG, you know. And the plot is schlocky and stupid there, but right. But um, that's not the point, right? It's you just watch it because you're comforted by these characters and because mm -hmm. they're familiar and 
you you know you can leave the room for twenty minutes and not really miss anything. Absolutely. I just felt like it kept hitting hitting me in the face when body blows were all <laughs> that were needed. Yep. Well, as you mentioned or speculated on, that's probably something that will improve over time as she mm-hmm. matures as a writer. I think. And, and also as they start to feel secure in their show getting picked up because the first they yeah. don't usually know if their show gets picked up again until 10 to 20 episodes sometimes. So mm-hmm. so the hard sell is mm-hmm. in effect. Be over the top until you can settle into yeah. into something good. Yeah. People get the characters, people are going to go with us. That doesn't happen right away. I feel like the flow, especially in the third season, the flow and the dialogue and the writing is just so much more comfortable. Um, those those yeah. minor complaints I had about the first season are pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Mike, you complained about Paula being the least believable character pivot in that she was intre- uh, introduced as an antagonist and then almost instantly... Uh, flipped around and became the best friend. And I guess I had never thought about it that way, but I could see... I just thought it could be two characters. Yeah, I think the reason that they did that is that they wanted to very quickly demonstrate her... Needing to take care of people? Yes, and her deceptiveness and the way that she can um, do unscrupulous things. But how can you trust her? I you know it's like it's like a cheating spouse once they've cheated I don't know, you know I think so how I thought of it I thought she was very believable in that um I almost just said Rebecca is someone that she admires she's this high power lawyer from Harvard she's like what the hell is she doing in my little town and now I want to be friends with her but I need to figure mm-hmm. it out mm-hmm. first I need to uncover I have to this know. Okay. yeah yeah but but we weren't in on that thinking though no kind of because she was looking at her resume like why is she here and wanting to hear oh those are um louis vuittons and oh my gosh you know like she just had she just admired her so much i didn't sound like admiration sound like suspicion oh it was admiration mixed with jealousy and and a healthy dose of suspicion Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and then as soon as she was let in on it she was like oh this is something I can fix. I can help this. I mean, there's lots of people. And also... Couldn't the whole thing have been served better by having another character? I don't think so. Who still remained antagonistic? It's possible. I don't know. I think it was just the jarring change that threw Mike. That it was so and quick. Yeah, it was within like one episode. It was immediate. Yeah, sometimes you just have to do that in a pilot or though, you know, it's... right. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of character to lay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like my last date. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of, we're almost an hour into this, not including the clip. So, and keep this train moving. All right. Do you want to go to final questions? Yes. Yes. Final questions for Mike and Bobby based on their viewing of eight episodes of the show. Bobby goes first. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, well, all right. We'll let Mike be the bombshell then. That's fine. All right. Or How not, did I this? <laughs> Someone's going to be there. Better be a bombshell in this. Uh, how did this experience compare to what you thought it would be going into it? Well, 
first, I actually was surprised there wasn't more singing. Uh, I don't know why. I think because I'd only seen the singing clips, I thought that it would actually be less. I thought more plot would move through songs and that there would be less interstitial acting. I was comforted by the fact that that was not the case because that would be exhausting. <laughs> yes. True. Uh, and uh, it was also longer than I thought it was going to be for the aforementioned timing reasons. Now, again, I was really the second wheel on this challenge for my Mike. Guess. So I was just kicking back and I rolled with it. Also, I was really, really busy when all this was decided. So, I mean, I don't, right. I don't mind. I, I, I think that, you know, it wasn't so much about being minute for minute as it was getting a full experience. And that was fine. Um, yeah, it was, it was more show than I thought it was going to be both in acting content and time. Mike. It, it was about what I thought it was going to be. Um, I have an open mind about things like this, despite my persona that might lead you to want to torture me. Um, it, uh, I, I about knew what amount of song to show there was going to be. And I appreciate all of it it's it's good it was a good show um i'll let bobby answer the last question before i answer it myself all right would you watch again so i want to make a point before i answer that i should have said it when i talked about my experience comparing to what i thought it would be uh because this is not just a fear factor situation but it is someone right. It's someone swallow a bug. Yeah, exactly. It's someone challenging because you love it, and I mm-hmm. trust yeah. your taste enough to know that I wasn't going to hate it. I knew that if you liked yeah. something that much, that I was at least going to appreciate it for why you liked it. If I didn't like it, um, and I work in the new music world where appreciating something without necessarily enjoying it is a really big part of the world. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I completely get it. But uh, would I watch again? Yes. I I would keep watching where I left off. Now, I haven't had a chance to, and it's not super high on my priority list, but I am sure that at some point when I'm in a different city from Sam and have some time to kill or, you know, just that, that sort of a weird Saturday crops up where nothing's going on. Sure. I'll, I'll pick this up and keep going. Now, it could be like, a lot of other Netflixy shows where I'll get through a season and then forget about it for a year and then go back and watch season two, or I might drift off after the fourth season, like I did with Mad Men. But uh, you know, yeah, it's certainly in the hopper. Is something I'll go back to. Well, luckily enough, they are set for only four seasons. If they get picked up for this last season, four is all they have planned to do. They have a story arc that they want to tell, so there's no chance of. Dragging into season nine when the regular <laughs> cast is all departed and this is <laughs> actually cousin Oliver. That's a good point because the other day I tweeted this. Um, we were in Buffalo and Sam was flipping channels. Comedy Central was just running The Office all day, and it was season eight of The Office. And I just sat down for a minute and I was like, "Well, I recognize some of the principal players here, but not all of them." I have no idea what the hell is going on plot-wise. 
this this show took a complete direction after I stopped watching it, and I was like, mm-hmm. and it's not funny. And I think uh, it was Jeremy who who called me wrong on that. And I'll give him this like three episodes later. I realized, no, it is funny. It's just different. It's very <laughs> it's different, different than it was yeah. at the beginning. Yep. Well, that's never going to be a problem with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's going to be the same people from beginning to end. And who knows? It may not even get picked up for that last season because it's doing so poorly in the ratings. Yeah. So we can only hope. But Well, some, some plucky startup... Um, smart tv app tv channel that will last for two years we'll pick it up and let it do it i mean i don't know if they'll get any money to do it but there's a home for it somewhere right yep all right mike would you watch again well the title of course Mm -hmm. turned me off at the beginning and then you started this whole campaign to make me watch it and i did watch it in binge fashion and at the end I was taking notes and I turned it off and then the next time I was in the mountain room I turned on the TV and I seriously considered watching episode 9 and I did (laughs) I hit play. <laughs> but then, yes, I realized not mandated. <laughs> and I turned it off. You weren't going to get credit for it, so you had to turn it off. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I I was thinking if I have to do this in the future, I need to make someone else suffer something else. Oh jeez. So. Oh, you're saving now it as a Now we weapon. are in truly in the spirit of of the uh, <laughs> this thing you've created. But, you know, as you were talking, I was like, what do I want this answer to be? Like, I truly yeah. don't think that I had any expectations. I wasn't right. psyching myself up for you to love it. I wasn't bracing myself for disappointment if you hated it. I was just curious. It was good enough to hold over you like a fucking axe (laughs) over your neck. All I wanted was for you to give it a chance. And you did. And I appreciate that. I did. I did. It was good. Good show. I recommend. Clip Clop recommends. Recommends season one, episodes one through eight. <laughs> One, two, eight. Yeah, right. Right. And the first few seconds of episode nine. I'm telling you, you gotta watch what happens with Daryl. It's so you good. do. Yeah. It's worth it. <laughs> yep. Daryl's the boss. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just laughing at the retention. <laughs> no, I Wait, he, Bobby, I watched these yeah. things three weeks no, ago. I know, I know. It's funny because the first episodes I took I took not close notes, but like I made a note of like if they did a song or a couple yeah. of high points so that I would sort of remember things if I had to pick it up and not watch it all in one stretch, which I did. I ended up having to stop and then pick up the second half. And I did that for every episode, but they got a little thinner and a little thinner and a little thinner. And then mm-hmm. episode eight started rolling and it was pretty late at night and I just didn't take notes for episode eight. <laughs> I never wrote down anyone's name. <laughs> Just the boss. I mean, sure. that's who mm-hmm. he is. Yep. He's the boss. Well, and that's part of the 
the framework that those characters create for her world is that easy. Is that it is the boss and yeah, yeah. Nobody's mistaken when I ask who's the boss right in this episode. It's not Tony Danza. It's it's uh, whatever his yeah. name is. That's the one of the whole points of this is you start with the boss and the funny best friend and the wacky neighbor and the yeah. inappropriate love interest and then yeah. it goes from there and they become different from that. You continue to sell, and <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like when you get a fight in a fight with someone on Facebook. She's not fighting with you. She's using you as her straw man so that all the people reading the comments can be one. Right. right. We're digging each other, but now it's beyond us. Right. Tens of people will listen to this and perhaps uh, watch my crazy ex, excuse me, crazy ex-girlfriend. Ah, oh, man. We made it through down. so Almost it's got really, through. We have a common enemy. It's really late, guys. <laughs> all right, Christy, why don't you take us to the... How am I going to transition this to the janitor's closet? There's some housekeeping. <laughs> oh, that oh that's good if you've seen the current season. The janitor's closet becomes oh a plot point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, sex in the mop sink. <laughs> Hello. Um, buy some stuff from us. We've gotten a, a big push of people buying merch. Thank you. And keep mm-hmm. buying more. Um, Join the archive project. Send me an email and I'll send you a week. Buy some stuff from Amazon by going to littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon and kick us a few pennies. <clears throat> and this week on Earbuds and Earworms, Amy is going to podcast alone. So listen Ooh. at your own risk. Hey, and I have a uh, uh, tease for the recap. Ooh. Huge stump date coming. Wow. Huge. Way to leave us on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wish I could sing. You can get involved not only by listening to the next episode for Mike's huge stump date. You can find our website at littleredbandwagon.com. You can send us your feedback at throwyourphone.com. On Facebook, Little Red Bandwagon, where occasionally we post things like polls or Amazon referral links to buy shitloads of Cadbury mini eggs. <laughs> Yes, the, show, yes. the show Twitter is LRB Podcast. You can email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail or a text message at 802-432-8285. That's 802-432-TBTL. And with that, Christy Wise, why don't you get us out of here? Until next time, this is the next party. I love you, Jen. <laughs> Nailed it? Hey, I don't appreciate you. <laughs> You're a little flat. <laughs> little little tuny bro. You're flat. <laughs> <laughs>
definitely have friends. Objectively, I can say that I have all the friends. I have friends, I definitely have friends. Friends, friends, friendly friends, time to meet my friends. I'm Paula. Daryl. Lady who hit your car. Friend of friend from law school? Grocery clerk with half an eyelid. We have friends. We definitely have friends. No one can say that we do not have friends. We have friends. We 